0: Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Joseph Makanu, co-founder and managing director of Verge Health Tech Fund, an investment fund focused on early stage healthcare technology companies relevant to emerging markets. Joseph shares his background and how that led to starting up a purpose-driven, founder-friendly early stage health tech fund, and why this is important. We talk about what Verge is focused on investing in, The types of problems and scale of problems in health that drive those decisions, and the types of skills and attributes, as well as chemistry needed from founders to bring it all together. Whilst we're discussing an investor's perspective today, these views and opinions are not investment advice and are the opinions of our guest in a general discussion. If you're at the startup of your journey in health tech, you'll get a lot out of this perspective and moreover, understanding that not all capital is the same. And generally, it's important to assess for yourself what type of capital you need, when you need it, and under what circumstances. Knowing a little more about the types of funds and their motivations could be helpful in answering such questions. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Joseph, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, good, Yanni. How are you?
0: Very well, Thanks. I'm keen to sort of unpack your journey kind of leading into this because you've sort of got quite a number of things that have come together for you in the background. Perhaps you could talk to me about the journey that led you to starting up the fund, the Verge Health Tech Fund that you're currently involved with.
1: Coming together is a very nice way that you've put a, a very squiggly career path from point A to B instead of something that's quite linear. I can do this disjointedly and to say that I started As a venture investor, because I wanted to do angel investing full time and I didn't have the money to do it full time at the time. The reason I started a venture fund is because I couldn't find a venture fund that invested in kind of things that I was interested in and felt passionate about, which in this case were technologies that could radically move the needle in improving access, affordability, quality and efficiency of healthcare for everyone especially those in emerging markets, not just those who are are living in the more developed markets, which had been historically the focus of medical innovation. Unfortunately, there's not as many of us by any factor living in developed markets versus those living in emerging markets. And there's a lot of human suffering that can be avoided with some relatively low-hanging fruit solutions. What got me to be an angel investor, what even gave me the courage to do any sort of these things would really rely upon my background in both technology and business. So on the technology side, I started very young as a computer programmer, decided that I can't really change the world with computer games. So I wanted to become a scientist to look for cures to various things that made us unwell and even old. That took me to pursue an undergrad in science and molecular genetics. Then I wanted to become a scientist full on, which meant doing a PhD. And so I did a PhD in medical biophysics, both of this at the University of Toronto. And then my uh, entry into business came quite accidental. I uh, was helping a medical doctor that I randomly met through a family friend with some problems on the brain, and that turned into a real-time brain imaging system that used a plurality of EEG electrodes to try to determine where the electrical activity in your brain comes from 2,000 times a second. That took me into the world of entrepreneurship, the need to raise capital, the need to take an innovation and put it Beyond simply the merit of the science or the early product, and think about how it can actually have an impact in society and the multi step complicated journey to get to that end point. That also led me to business school. It led me to desiring a career in investment. And the investment led me to management consulting, which I spent almost eight years doing, first starting in North America and then uh, being transferred to Singapore in 2014. Now, The angel investments began just after I moved to Singapore. Well, frankly, I was getting a bit more senior. And as you may be aware, the taxes in Singapore are a little bit lower than they are in Canada. And started meeting all these great entrepreneurs who were trying to make a difference. Low-hanging fruit, simple technological solutions, but they had a real struggle raising capital it was the right place and the right time and the right amount of idealism and maybe hubris from myself to think I could make a difference with a small check. I guess I got lucky because they did make a difference.
0: One of the things that really stuck out when I first became aware of you and met you is that probably two key things. One is that you're very focused on health tech And so that was immediately attractive. It's like, I have to get to know Joseph. I feel a sense of kindred spirit, so to speak. And you also combine, I think, sort of meaning and purpose around what's driving your particular aspirations. And from what I can tell, that's been a big part of why you've created Verge. Do you want to talk to that? What is this purpose? What is this sort of drive that consolidates that backstory to bring you to a point where you productize that in the form of a health tech venture fund and put that out to the world?
1: It's a very good question. I'd count myself as extremely fortunate to know what I actually want to do. Some people, they're even luckier, they figure this out in their 20s. Some people, unfortunately, never figure it out. So when I saw that there is a potential for me to help a heck of a lot of people with, I have to say, like comparatively little effort. I mean, it's the entrepreneur that's doing all the work. They're the one that's risking everything. They could more often than not, be working at Google or Amazon or Pfizer or wherever, but they've decided to forego that in order to pursue a mission to fix something that really sucks in the world fundamentally. For me, I realized that I didn't have any really big ideas of my own. I really wanted to do something to use my knowledge, use my training that could perhaps make a difference? Because the thing that really, really bothers me is wasted potential. And if you've got hundreds of millions of people in circumstances where they can't realize their full potential because they're sick or their family members are sick, and then they have to make a choice between, say, paying tuition or sending them to school or pursuing something that they're really excited about to pay medical bills or maybe they even lose their loved ones because they didn't have access to the necessary infrastructure or quality guidance that would have allowed them to continue living or living without disease burden. That's a real shame. I mean, how many Einsteins are there? Like how many people are yet to be discovered that we lost because of just such a dumb thing, like maybe pneumonia or diarrhea or undiagnosed chronic disease that could have been prevented or at least mitigated that took out the breadwinner of the family, leaving the kid to picking fruits instead of going to school. That's something that really fundamentally bothers me. And I have to say that does have a selfish origin because I was made aware of my own mortality and those around me pretty early in life. And I wanted to do something that would make sure that I could live a longer and healthier life. And then I thought, well, there's probably tons of people that are more capable and smarter than I am that are better people altogether that deserve the same chance. So why don't we do it for everyone? And why does it have to be stratified by your socioeconomic status or where you're born.
0: I think that relationship between that idealism or potentially how we as a species or even as a world can change for the better really does sit at the heart of the entrepreneur or a startup founder. There's often what I've found, I know it within myself and I know it within people that I've worked with over the years and currently work with, that it usually comes from a place of feeling challenged by the way things are. And there's an inherent question in that, why is it like this? And then what follows from that is, well, What could be better and how do we sort of get there? So we tend to see the startup entrepreneur as some kind of unicorn example, right? That really dominates the headlines. And it kind of paints this picture that it has to be a moonshot. It has to be something that is so out of the blue type of thing. And, and yet I don't see it that way. I actually think and often say to founders that I talk to that, uh, sure, you know, it's appealing to try and chase a billion-dollar startup or a multiple-billion-dollar startup. But what about the $100 million startup, the $50 million startup, the $300 million startup? There's startups that really make a meaningful impact without necessarily needing to be a Facebook or a Google per se. They can have much more impact day-to-day by actually just looking at those life problems not necessarily seeing it as it has to be the whole world all at once. It can be something that can happen systematically over time or that can integrate with things. So it's kind of just a bit of a personal reflection on my part that the power of the entrepreneur is falling out of the funnel, so to speak, because we have a very limited model called venture capital or private equity. There are these sort of constrained markets for accessing capital, which make it very difficult for good ideas to get up because statistically... It's almost impossible to look at all the ideas at the same time. And so all these sort of great ideas that go begging that kind of fall out of that process and then bets are made on what's left, you know, that 2 3% that ultimately get in front of the right people at the right time. Has that been something that you've seen through your journey that either before or whilst you've actually been building? I think it's fair to say you sort of, you're a few years in, but if you're a startup fund, for health tech products and particularly early stage, you've got to focus on startups and early stage type uh, health tech initiatives. How are you seeing the differentiation between what you're doing versus other more traditional ways of raising capital?
1: We are a VC and that follows a lot of the motions and the formula of how you approach an investor, the process of due diligence, running the deal, managing the portfolio afterwards, and eventually trying to return some money, hopefully much more. Than you started with to your investors so that we have in common i do think that we've hit upon a pretty important point that any investment has a risk return profile and a lot of what is termed conventional venture is looking for power law distributions so every single deal that they make has to have the potential to return a good proportion if not the entire fund because they're expecting a distribution where they have an excessively high failure rate and when you are backing these really big moonshot ideas that are sometimes sound really really bonkers until they're absolutely not and they're everywhere in the world you are going to have sort of return profile that you're looking for that's a little bit different than looking for solutions to very well characterized problems And that has a different risk profile potentially than going into completely uncharted territory. As a consequence, the returns that you require might be a little bit lower. We try to get in really early into companies. So that gives us a little bit more room to tolerate a little bit more risk. Our desired risk profile might effectively look a little bit lower than your traditional VC fund. And then the other thing is, we're not swinging for the the fences here with what we invest in, particularly because there are so many known low hanging fruit problems in healthcare that no one has really addressed yet properly. And maybe this speaks to more of a broader point in that we sensationalize VC a lot, but there are many sources of capital and it's really about a founder looking for appropriate sources of capital that matches the kind of company that they're trying to build. For example, what differentiates a founder building a startup versus an entrepreneur building a new retail location or a store, right? Or if it's a new physician opening their own clinic, all of these are new companies, but you're not going to go to the VC unless you're doing some space-aged clinic. You're going to go to the bank to give you a line of credit to start your clinic because the risk return profile is very different than starting something absolutely from scratch. And the other thing that you need to take into consideration is the motivation for that money. Is it purely financial in nature or is it strategic in nature? Are they looking for something that is synergistic to their existing business or is it something that's of high interest or relevance to the organization or the person's mission and vision? So you'll see a lot of talk about venture philanthropy where they'd at least like to return their capital or get some sort of modest rate, but they want their investments to really focus on a particular cause. The challenge has really been about investor-founder fit more so than anything, and that the VC world just sucks all the oxygen in the room because it's exciting and dynamic. It's more exciting to use the word unicorn than steady risk-adjusted return rate.
0: I see that a lot. And I remember back from my uni days, sitting in lectures around investment analysis, and I was confounded about that portfolio diversification strategy kind of idea, which you touched on a bit earlier, which is there may be a star, there may be a cash cow, but more often than not, most things aren't going to go too well. And I often thought, I pondered about that even as I went into my own startup life as well. Wouldn't it be better if you, instead of sort of saying, look, I'm going to invest in 20 things, assuming that 15 will probably fail, three are going to be pretty strong, and there's going to be two really, possibly one or two off the Richter scale, so to speak. So on average, across that investment spread, I'm going to come out better off. And I thought to myself, well, what if the 15 actually did all right as well? So that You still had space for the superstar. You had good cash cows in the portfolio, but you were making decisions very early in the piece to make sure that you didn't just assume you were gonna fail at 15 out of 20, that you could actually do well out of those. And as life went on for me and I experienced my own failures and successes, it occurred to me that the people were the key ingredient, the type of people that you had in the business as early as possible would go towards mitigating the risk of failure. And too often I think that, Dispassionate arm's length relationship with money within a venture capital type model looks at things too statistically and doesn't actually analyze the people that are in the business, the synergies, the chemistry, the relationship network in order to bring to bear the experience that's needed to keep it simple and make very lean, smart choices as you're working through sort of product market fit and getting to a point where you get validation from the market that you're focused on the right problem. And it's generally agreed that there's value in that, that can be captured in a price, for example, and that would actually be willingly paid to the startup. Because to me, it just intuitively makes sense. If you had 20 well-performing businesses in a portfolio, that would be superior to having five and then just discarding 15. It seems like a lot of time wasted and money around those 15 that it just sort of casualties of the whole diversification strategy and it's kind of been a, you know, those resources could have been put into getting the right people in at the right time. Does that resonate with you and I guess the underlying thesis that you're working on as far as your fund strategy is concerned?
1: It really does. Different investors have different objectives. My objective and Verge's objective is to impact as many lives positively as possible and get a respectable financial return for our investors. But really, it's the part of really changing health systems for the better and changing the health of people to give them longer, more meaningful and disease-burdened lives. Look, I don't think any VC wants to lose 75% of their portfolio. I don't think they wake up in the morning and say, you know what, these are the ones I'm going to sacrifice. Or everyone has to invest in companies that they feel will realize the objectives of what they've promised their investors. And there's a very different thing to say, okay, here are 50 problems that we're gonna try to address by making select investments in each of these areas versus we wanna create a bold and exciting future of things that we've never seen before. And predicting the future is a heck of a lot harder than fixing known problems. And fixing known problems is already really, really hard. It just so happens that our philosophy is to focus more on fixing the known problems and maybe designing a better, more integrated, connected health system globally versus we're going to go into space or we're going (laughs) to try to find more advanced materials using technologies that we don't fully understand, but we think that one of these might work really well. There are different investors for different purposes. That's fundamentally what it comes to. And some investments are just ultra high risk. And if you've got something that's ultra high risk, you need ultra high returns.
0: So tell me, what's your definition of health tech?
1: I think there are many definitions of health tech as there are people practicing in health tech. My definition of health tech is actually the use of technology to promote, maintain, restore augment health. And I don't say health care, I say health. Because if you need care, then you don't have health. So care is a subset of what it would take to maintain and restore care. But fundamentally, you don't want to get sick to begin with. And in fact, everything that is health care today is in fact sick care. So it's really the focus on health as opposed to care
0: that idea is sort of not necessarily constrained to software or devices it's kind of any tech that promotes those objectives or outcomes that you're describing
1: yeah now for practical considerations there are things that are more difficult to invest into so it is easier to as a small fund to invest in small inexpensive devices but it is more difficult for us to invest in biotech or invasive medical devices, not to say that they don't have their place or any really widespread consumer device like a Fitbit. We're not set up to do those kind of investments, even though they potentially could fall under the realm of health tech. So more practically, we have to also keep in mind our own capabilities. And what our other objective is, is really expanding access. And With a biotech innovation, it's very difficult to expand access when you need a whole clinical and financial infrastructure around to support this.
0: I would agree. I think that med tech, health tech distinction comes out through that, where the med tech needs to prove the claim that it's making. And so that builds a lot of cost, time and risk into getting to market and then potentially realizing that the market won't even engage with it. I think health tech really starts to look at these today problems. The gaps so to speak or even just better ways to do what we need to do today we know we need to do things in healthcare today and both from a consumer standpoint as well as a health provider standpoint and i see it as an industry under construction there's just so many gaps in the market there seems to be some pillars emerging particularly around things like clinical information systems and apis and interoperability but the extension now out into the lives of the community is where the gaps need to continuously be addressed I'm curious, would you be able to sort of dot point a few things that bring an opportunity into your sweet spot by definition would be something that you would take a really close look at?
1: Yeah. So the first thing we look at is, is it a real problem? And real problem is a very subjective term for us. It means, are there a lot of people suffering from this problem? And is it a severe problem? So to make this feel a bit more real, If it's like itchy skin, I mean, not like super itchy that it prevents you from doing anything and thinking, but I'm just like moderately itchy skin versus cancer, we're going to care about cancer a lot more. The severity of the problem multiplied by the breadth of the problem. So if it affects five people, that's unfortunate. I hope that there are groups out there that would focus on those five people, but we want to look for things that will impact the lives of 10 million or 50 million or hundred million people.
0: Okay. So the first thing you look for is, is the problem worth solving? What's next? Are you looking at the founders?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have to understand why you've decided to undergo this really difficult journey that's probably going to be a decade long with more downs than ups. Really understand the motivations behind that. In terms of expertise, we really want to look for clinical, technical, and commercial experience and expertise because health tech is so multifaceted that I feel like you need a broader foundational skill set in order to build a successful company in the space. It's really weird. There's a book called Super Founders by Ali Thomasa, which I really recommend everyone reads. The health sector was the only sector where you had a much higher statistically significant difference in successful founders coming from that same sector versus everything else were coming from that same sector May have no impact or even an increase your chance of failure. Healthcare, that was the single industry where coming from healthcare gave you a much higher chance of succeeding.
0: You talked about sort of that commercial, technical, and health or medical kind of background. Do you need it in one person or do you need to see it in the founder group to be represented We're, there? Well, I guess, you know, what's your definition of an ideal founder or founders?
1: You know, there are some funds that say we don't invest in solo founders, probably because they don't want them to get hit by a bus or there might be other control issues. For us, we don't really care about that distinction as much as we care about the completeness of the overall team and how they work together. There could be areas where it's like, maybe they don't have as much commercial expertise as they'd like, but there's a path towards it. And that's okay. We realize that we can't have the perfect team, but we do look for most of that being there in place because, you know, we look for things globally, right? We've been actually very fortunate to have a very large pool of potential companies to invest in. Having that skill set in-house is just so much more beneficial than having to learn everything the first time the hard way, especially when capital is so constrained. And I do think that it is going to get harder to raise funds this coming year and maybe the year after and the year after that.
0: So a good problem to solve, a worthwhile problem to solve combined with the right skill, experience, chemistry, et cetera, within a group of a team that's in the foundation of that particular startup. Is there anything else in terms of deal size, revenue, and perhaps talk a little bit about how your model comes together? Because you've got quite a lot of partners around the fund. You've got advisors. I'm assuming there's more than just money that somebody could come to you for and say, hey, cut us a check for this particular problem we're solving. Tell us more about that.
1: Roughly, we look for companies that are really early in their journey. We like to get pretty involved given that every single person on our team has been a founder or has worked for a startup, has worked in industries. We're very operationally minded and that's just what we enjoy doing. That's where we think we have disproportionate value add. And then in terms of our advisors, we're lucky to have a group of like-minded people that have had a lot of really relevant experience across different geographies and different subsectors of the whole health ecosystem. We've been very lucky there and we bring them in as needed, but most of the work is, is done by ourselves and the core team. In terms of the value add, every investor says they add value. Like anything, when you get advice, always look at the motivations of the person giving advice and the relevance of the person giving advice is probably the only thing I'd really have to say. We want to be helpful. It's our way of living vicariously through the founders, or maybe that's just myself projecting why I like to help startups. But I also think that given our experience, we have a lot to offer and we have actually done quite a bit for our startups.
0: I think a lot of investors want to feel as though they can influence or impart seasoned advice and experience through founders. But ultimately, the founders need to do it right. and They have to be able to execute and translate. So it's kind of finding that right balance between a founder who is open minded to being challenged or potentially receiving Insights and approaches that perhaps they hadn't considered, and not reject that because it wasn't their idea. And it's kind of having the right synergies. I think that'd be part of your process. You want to make sure you can actually work with people as well.
1: Certainly, the airplane test.
0: (laughs) The airplane (laughs) test.
1: We actually have to like each other. I mean, look, I think it's so irresponsible to take money from someone you've just met. I see deals being done in like one or two weeks, and that is essentially like getting married after the first date. Because this this is such a horrible statistic, but depending on which country you live in, your startup may last longer than your marriage. Or depending how well you run your startup, your startup may run run longer than your marriage. So
0: if- The startup's the child, right? It could be the child.
1: Yeah. If you're making a decision as to who you want as an investor after just meeting them, that's super dangerous. So there has to be that chemistry and fit. You have to date for a bit. So the best time to seek investment is when you don't need the money.
0: And in terms of early stage, are you talking, are you open to exploring pre-revenue startup ideas or do you need to see oh, some revenue? For sure.
1: Pre-product, like foam brick with a wire sticking out of it, product as long as the science <laughs> is found. We want to be super early in a company's journey. If it's software, I mean, look, I can start a software company for five bucks. I think you need to show a little bit more proof there. If it's something that's a little bit more technical and a little bit more capital intensive and challenging, yeah, being prototype phase is, is, is totally fine. As long as you have the right intention to make a really big difference in the world and have a path to affordability for it too.
0: It's a really great initiative. There seems to be a decent amount of capital around when it comes to a certain deal size and above, but that sort of startup early stage, I think is underserved. So it's great to have Verge Health Tech Fund in the mix now, and you're based out of Singapore at the moment, but in terms of Australia, you're actively looking at the Australian market as well? or uh...
1: We look everywhere. Basically, wherever there is a great founder or great founding team with an idea that's really going to radically change healthcare for the better with technology, we're open to it. I mean, we have invested across 13 countries already, and some of these countries are non-obvious. You know, we have invested in Colombia, we've invested in South Africa, you know, we've even invested in Belarus, with uh, which unfortunately now is not a good place to be investing. Luckily, with some of the higher risk geographies, we do tend to move the company headquarters to a, quote unquote, safer or, or better governance location. So if yep. it wasn't for that, that company, unfortunately, we would probably not be existing anymore.
0: So I guess one last question before I let you go, Joseph, is what's your vision for the fund? Uh, you know, where's Verge going to be at in five to 10 years time?
1: Well, I'd say that our first fund was a bit of an experiment. It's a small fund. So it's actually, we fully deployed it. Given that we've now impacted over 6 million lives with our first fund, we want to do more. This was an experiment. It seems to be working quite well. So it's time to do more. It's time to go bigger. So that's really what we want to do. We're just scratching the surface with our 15 companies And what would it look like? What would the impact look like if we had 50 companies? What would it look like if we had 100 companies? What would it look like if we had 10 times or 20 times the resources? So that's uh, that's really where we're going. We're like any startup. We're now kind of in the scale phase.
0: There's a lot of experience that you're learning that would benefit the companies within the portfolio as well. So Joseph, thanks so much for coming along today. I really appreciate hearing about your story. And as I mentioned earlier, delighted that you actually have a focus on health tech and it's driven by purpose and it's a very noble synthesis um, between producing financially sustainable outcomes from an investor standpoint, but actually making a difference to the world around us. And it it really aligns with my own kind of purpose, uh, which is about achieving a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. And I look forward to hearing your story unfold as we go forward. Thanks, Joseph.
1: Thanks so much, Yanni. It's been an honour and a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app, If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.